Let's just pray again, shall we, and uh, ask for God's help as we come to his word. Father in heaven, we thank you for the children who have just gone out to their uh, different classes this morning. I thank you for each of them, for bringing them to be here today. I thank you for those who are spending the time with them this morning and who have put in a preparation uh, throughout this week or maybe even before, uh, prayerfully and uh, studiously in a way. We just thank you and we pray that uh, although it's such a human setting, that because they're looking at your word, we would ask you that your spirit would really be active. Uh, please use the, the reading of the Bible and the, the explanations and the interactions, even the activities. Please use those to really speak powerfully to the children this morning and help them to, to know you and to grow in their confidence of the kind of God that you are and what it means to be saved by you. And if they're not there yet, if they haven't come to trust you yet, that uh, today would really be a, a, a further step for them along that, along that road. And as, as we meet in here, please, please be with us too. We thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that it is the word of God. Uh, we thank you that you've spoken, and that you mean what you say, and that you will bring about all that you've promised. And uh, we ask that you would help us this morning uh, Lord, I, uh, we can be so distracted in our hearts and minds, but we pray that, that there would be this spiritual uh, interaction this morning with you, that in that sense we'll have really done business with you this morning. So please, please meet with us. Please use your word. Please honor yourself uh, in this time. We pray for our world today too, just briefly, uh, thinking of all that's going on with other believers in other, other parts of the world, but also just in the areas of great crisis. Uh, to, and thank you that we can, we can pray and ask for help for ourselves, but also uh, for these huge, huge uh, human issues as well. In Jesus' name, amen. I didn't uh, say at the beginning, but uh, I work with a mission agency called a UFM uh, Worldwide. And so I'm, I'm going to use uh, some illustrations from uh, my work this morning uh, as we come to the, uh, the Bible, uh, these chapters and acts, this, this section in the life of the early church. Uh, uh, th th there's a lot uh, that I won't be able to say. <laughs> there are some amazing things happening in the world today. Uh, here, here in, in Britain and in Europe, perhaps we feel the, 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 the darkness pressing in, in some ways. Uh, may, maybe not completely, because there are also extraordinary opportunities here, aren't they? Uh, on my way up to Whitby on Friday, I went to Catterick Garrison, uh, where all the infantry personnel for the whole of the British forces are trained. They have their first six months training there. Uh, so 6,000 people come through the training program per year. Uh, and there are some 
Christian men and women, or, well, I, I did, uh, Sazra people, uh, you know, the Soldiers and Airmen's Scripture Readers Association uh, staff, or well, one guy in particular who works with the infantry people, and he has the opportunity to teach the Bible to every single infantry person that comes through, and then to meet with them individually and in groups uh, to offer them more uh, insight into the scriptures, into who Jesus is, and to offer them counseling and support, uh, to invite them to Christianity Explore, to Bible studies, and so on. An, an incredible thing. And he was saying to me, and I don't know how this is possible, he was saying to me that the British Army still believes that Christianity underpins who they are in their identity. Uh, clearly the British Army is not quite where the politicians are today, nor is it where our culture uh, is. But that's what they're saying. And he's saying that because it's a commonwealth force, uh, th th they can't find any other culture other than the Christian culture, which holds all those different nationalities together. So, so the, the, the perception from within the forces, and uh, I, I, I can only say this because he said it, uh, it's very hard to believe, I think, uh, is that Christianity is still very much at the center. Now, now that doesn't mean that the way uh, everyone in, in the forces operates is operating out of a Christian perspective, but the opportunity that is there here in the UK is just staggering. Uh, and although uh, perhaps in terms of uh, law and politics and culture, things are closing in uh, on Christians, uh, underneath that it seems there are new opportunities emerging in the darkness. But around the world, great things are happening. Uh, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but just to introduce to you the fact that that is the case uh, in South America uh, and in Africa and in Asia today. The gospel is having a phenomenal impact. Uh, Lindsey Brown, who is a mission leader, uh, who's been around for many years, studied history at Oxford and in Paris, is, is a man of great leadership uh, uh, skill and insight. He said recently that he believes the impact of the gospel in the world today from the kind of mid-90s to this time, is as powerful or maybe more so than the impact of the Reformation. Uh, so there may well be people who have studied church history who don't agree with that. Uh, and you can argue with Lindsay, not with me, I'm just quoting him. Uh, but, but that's a very uh, interesting thing to hear someone say, isn't it? That the gospel is having such an impact. So for instance, in Africa, a uh, hundred years ago when there was a census, uh, it, it, it would have been counted that perhaps 7.5 million people uh, would have registered themselves as believing in Jesus Christ. Now, there would have been some nominalism there, but 7.5 million, uh, and especially sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, today, uh, the estimate is 500 million. So in 100 years, it's gone up from 7.5 million to 7.5 million to 500 million. And there may well be nominalism in there, and there may well be false teaching in there, but it is an extraordinary move. In, in a hundred-year phase. Uh, if the man in Acts 3 came into the temple walking and leaping and praising God, I think things like that and what is happening in South America, which is similar, uh, and things that are happening in China and, and in, in Southeast Asia, which are similar, uh, should also excite us truly uh, about the nature of God and what he's doing in the gospel in our world today, although we can see many crises uh, of course. So there are amazing things happening in the world. I, I, I can't tell you about all the... India is now the country with more missionaries being sent out than any country in the world. That's a total transformation. Uh, it used to be America and uh, Britain 
that, that would have been the kind of, the, you know, the, the, the launching pad for missionary uh, endeavor uh, in the 20th century and, and before that, but now India is the country that sends out more missionaries than any other country in the world. So there are huge changes, uh, missiologically uh, and big developments. Now, I, I find myself often thinking, why did God call me to Swindon? If all that is happening in China, and all that is happening in Africa, and all that is happening in South America, couldn't he have put me somewhere more exciting? Now, Swindon is very exciting, uh, uh, so I, I don't want to undercut Swindon at all, or Rotten, so we don't even live in Swindon. In fact, my daughter won't even say she lives in Swindon. She says we live just north of Marlborough, uh, so <laughs> she's, she's a bit snobby. <laughs> I hope this isn't being taped. It is being taped. Tell her not to listen to it. Uh, anyway, so, but, but, but I would rather be somewhere exciting. I don't want to be in a country in a sense uh, where things are closing in and where it's becoming darker. Uh, and that's what I want us to look at this morning. Because although there are great things happening around the world, here we feel the pressure more keenly, don't we? Uh, on our lives, on our culture, on our society in many, many ways. Uh, and sometimes it's easy to think that it would be more straightforward to be a Christian in an environment where there was the kind of momentum that we might see in Africa or South America or uh, Asia. But the early church, and this is the real example that we're given, isn't it? We're not, we're not given scripturally the example of China or South America or Africa. We're given the example of the early church. And the early church in these three chapters, chapter 3, 4, and 5 of Acts, is a tiny church. It has just been born out of the day of Pentecost, chapters 1 and 2, and all that happened there with great power. But then the church seems to be allowed to go into a, a, a phase where in its vulnerability it f experiences incredible pressure from the powers that be. Political pressure, religious pressure, social pressure, uh, and even pressure from within the church. So we see that in these chapters. So the church is vulnerable and it faces great pressures. But in that context, this is what we read. Okay, And this is what I really want to focus on this morning. In Acts chapter 4... Uh, when the, Peter and John uh, are, are meeting the religious leaders of the day and they're being told to be quiet and not to talk about Jesus, they say, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Here in Britain, it seems to me, we're always all saying to each other, come on, come on, come on, we must tell people about Jesus. But there, they couldn't stop themselves speaking about Jesus. And that interests me. I find that fascinating. But also, towards the end of this section, uh, chapter 5, verse 40, 42, where they've been beaten and imprisoned and warned not to speak about Jesus anymore, we read this. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Okay? So they're not in China, they're not in Africa, they're not in uh, South America, they're in Palestine, first century Palestine, under phenomenal pressure, but there's this kind of life and dynamism and energy. Uh, and I think I find myself saying, I want to be like that. And I find myself saying, why were they like that? What was it that made them like that? And that's really what I want us to look at this morning. What was it that you know, made these early Christians like that. And the reason why we're sort of looking at this thematically is because I think there are a number of uh, insights, really, that give us an understanding of what it was that compelled these early Christians, what it, what it was that excited them, uh, that drove them on. You know, Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians 5 talks about being 
constrained by the love of Christ. Uh, and, and I want to see what it is that constrains and compels these early Christians so that may, maybe we can learn from them. Because our situation in Europe today is not that different uh, from the situation of first century uh, Palestine. I, I, the, the first thing I want to say is that it seems to me that the early Christians experienced and saw the power of transformed lives. This story is an incredibly exciting story. The man who was crippled from birth, okay, he had never walked once in his life. He was taken to the temple to beg for money because that might help him. I want to say a little bit more about that later. But, but he, he had never experienced fundamental and complete health. He was always crippled, always had been crippled, and no one, it seems, could affect him. You know, he perhaps with his money had the best medical care that was available. Maybe through his friends and family he had the most love that was available. But nothing seemed to change him, okay, fundamentally. And he meets Peter and John, uh, and they speak to him, uh, and they take him by the hand, and they r raise him up, uh, and immediately, the reading tells us, he was healed completely. Uh, and he goes into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people are amazed because the man who they knew was crippled and standing there in front of them was now healed. There is this sense of excitement at the power of transformation. Here is a person whose life has been changed immediately and fully in a sense. But I want us just to be clear about this before we move on to the second thing. There is this excitement about the man's healing. And we just need to kind of distinguish this morning, and there really isn't a lot of time to go into this in detail, but we kind of need to distinguish this morning, don't we, between the physical and the spiritual. Okay? God in the Bible doesn't promise that in the here and now he's going to heal everyone physically and mentally. That isn't the promise. One day he will. He certainly will do that work of completion, and those who belong to him will be fully healed. Uh, totally healed in mind and body and in every area of who they are. Uh, that's not what this story is telling us. So it's very significant uh, from verse 11 onwards in chapter 3 that Peter explains to the people of Israel that the physical healing of this man was an example or a model of the spiritual needs of the people and of what God wanted to do for them spiritually in Jesus. You know, that man was crippled and he was healed. Spiritually, they are crippled and they need to be healed. And so he goes on to explain that their crippledness, in a sense, their, their, their spiritual sickness was evident in the fact that when Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world, they didn't recognize him. So Peter says, he, he has these verses on, you disowned him, you handed him over, you disowned him, you didn't recognize him. There's this whole diagnosis, in a sense, uh, of their spiritual ill health their sickness, their paralysis before God because they couldn't relate properly, their sinfulness uh, and the place that that put them in before God. But Peter goes on to explain that that is exactly why Jesus had come into the world. That's exactly why God sent him, not to judge, uh, to, 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 to highlight, to bring the diagnosis, uh, but through that to bring healing. And so Jesus died, but God raised him up. And so he says in verse 16, we are witnesses of this, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Ch 
changed lives. This man was changed and his physical transformation was an illustration of the spiritual transformation uh, that God brings about uh, in people here in Chippenham and in Swindon and all over the world today. I've just put this picture up. I don't want to say a lot about it. Uh, It's a picture of five men in Moldova. Uh, There's a UFM team that work in Moldova uh, and their, their focus is to visit the institutions where Uh, those who are physically less able and mentally less able are housed. Uh, It's a lot better now than it was in the uh, the 90s and pre-1990, pre-revolution, but it's still horrendous. Some of you will have been to places like this and will know about it. Uh, This team visits the institutions and takes medical support and clothing and food and and everything they can can think of, but they also talk to people about Jesus. Uh, And they enable people to come out of the homes uh, and to live in families and to be integrated back into the community again. And this is one of the four homes that this team uh, have set up. And these are the first five guys that came out of the institution in Badichen. Uh, and they now live in this home. They're amazing guys. And uh, all apart from Grisha with the, the, the blue hat on, sitting down on the, on, on the right-hand side on your right. Uh, he, he struggles with the whole faith question, but the other four have come to believe in Jesus. And the transformation is astonishing. It's, it's just <laughs> heartbreakingly, overwhelmingly beautiful. Do you know what I mean? In fact, I was there, and uh, I'd been to the institution in the daytime, and we did some work there. And then in the evening, I was in the home with these guys, and the transformation is incredible. Uh, but the pastor was there. We were having a meal together. And uh, the pastor said to me after the meal, w- uh, would you do the devotions, please? So I opened my Bible, uh, and I, I, just, I couldn't read. I just cried because the, I was struck by the devastation that there is in the institutions, that was one thing, uh, and then by the power of the transformation that had occurred in these guys' lives and other people. And you know, you know stories like this yourselves from all around the world. This is what happens, you see. If, 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 if this were to happen here today, <laughs> or, or this, like this crippled man, we'd want to tell people all around us, wouldn't we? So I'm sure if we say, why was it that the early church couldn't stop speaking about Jesus? It's because of the power of transformation. Change lives, that's what does it. This is the second thing. Uh, I'm gonna, I've got four things. I'm going to go over them quite quickly, so I st- I'm sure we'll still finish on time. Uh, the, the second thing is this. How did it happen? You see, that's the important point, isn't it? How was this man changed? What is the key? Where is the power? Who did it? Who is responsible? Where is the authority? That's the big question. And we find this question being asked in the chapter as well. By what authority did you do this? Okay. Uh, And that is an important question. It's an important question here, and it's an important question in our lives. I was reading an interview uh, with Andre Agassi uh, this morning, uh, and Andre Agassi is into education and helping those who are marginalized in their educational opportunities. And he believes uh, in the power of education. He doesn't say that that's all he believes in, so I don't want to minimize what he's doing, but he believes in education. And many people do believe in education and say the key to transforming society is to educating people. Educate them about racism, and racism will go. Only it hasn't, so there is a bit of a problem there. But you get the point. And here, the people are saying, so what is it that changed this man's life? And Peter and John are incredibly clear, and this comes out in chapter 3 and 4 and 5 and all the way through, the thing that changed this man is Jesus, or the person that changed him is Jesus, whom you put to death, but whom God raised up. He is the Son of God, and to whom all authority belongs. And under heaven, there is no other name by which men will be saved, by which people will be saved. Jesus is the key 
to the transformation that men and women need. There is no other key. Okay, that's what the Bible is saying. There is no other means of total transformation here and into the future. In fact, if you ignore Jesus, the consequences will be disastrous. You know, the stone the builders rejected. If that stone isn't in place, the building comes crashing down. So they're incredibly clear that Jesus is Lord and that he has all authority under heaven and earth from God invested in him and therefore can take hold of a human being in love and power and bring about the transformation that is necessary. Taking them out of their darkness and sinfulness and all its consequences and bringing them into the incredible beauty and health and light and wonder of what it means to be in a relationship with God. So Jesus is the key. I just want to say two other things about that because I've mentioned education, but in this story... Uh, there's a nod to religion. Uh, the man sat outside the temple every day, okay? And it was a good place to sit because you got more money in the temple or near the temple than you did in the market because people going to church felt religious and wanted to get God's approval, so would have given more money uh, to somehow to get approval from God. I guess they've completely misunderstood God, like we do. But nonetheless, it was a great place to sit strategically, uh, and he made a lot of money from being in the shadow of religion. The gate that he sat by was very beautiful. It was called the beautiful gate. One commentator on this passage of scripture says, the problem is that although it was a very pretty gate, it was pretty useless because it didn't change him. Religion and all its superstructures, as barbaric as they can be sometimes, or as beautifully ornate as they can be sometimes, does not bring about the transformation that people need. Only Jesus can. Religion is massively attractive in our world today, isn't it? Or massively oppressive in our world today. It doesn't free people in its attractiveness or in its power-mongering. Only Jesus can truly bring transformation. But neither can money bring transformation and materialism. You see, he, he, he asked for money. He wanted more money. Uh, and I think Luke is sort of helping us to see that money didn't change him. It may, have been, it may have enabled him to buy a better wheelchair. It may have enabled him to buy uh, better facilities in his home. He might, might have had better medical care. But it didn't change him. He was still paralyzed. With all the money, he was still paralyzed. I, I was listening to the news a little while back, actually. And uh, someone won the Euro lottery in Britain. And they won 101 million pounds. Incredible, isn't it? <laughs> my first thought was, I wish they had been me. <laughs> you know, not that I didn't want them to win it, but I'd, I'd, I'd love to have that much money. Because deep down instinctively, and, I don't, and I'm not joking about this, deep down instinctively, there's that sense, isn't there, that a little bit more money will bring about the kind of changes that I need. Uh, and if I can bring about the changes that I think I need with that money, then one day I'll get to the point where you know, I'm the person I want to be. But it doesn't, does it? Materialism and money doesn't have that effect on people. It can do good, and so we need to use it under God, but it doesn't bring about the deep changes that people need spiritually. Again, only Jesus can do that. And it's not an easy thing to believe. It's not an easy thing to believe philosophically and culturally in our world today to say Jesus is Lord. Here this morning it's easy, but it's not easy in school, and it's not always easy in the workplace. It's not easy in prison or in the army. It's not easy in our world, is it? It's not easy in other countries. And it wasn't easy here. They believed it. They believed that Jesus had all authority. And so they proclaimed him. 
because he, they saw him as the key to transformation and to God's glory. But it wasn't easy for them. They came under phenomenal pressure. I was in Iraq a little while ago. And uh, I, I, this is in Kurdistan, in the north of Iraq. But uh, for Iraqis, uh, as you know, I'm sure, uh, for Iraqi Christians today, they've been told, sometimes officially, but very unofficially as well, that as Christians in Iraq, there are three possibilities for them. Uh, they can convert to Islam and deny Jesus as Lord, accept him as prophet. Uh, they can leave the country or they can be prepared to die for holding on to the truth that Jesus is Lord. That's, that's what they face in that country. And so when we say Jesus is the key, we're holding out something beautiful and wonderful and effective, but we're also holding out something in a world tainted by sin and in a world in which there are spiritual realities that isn't always accepted as attractive and is sometimes fought against. And so we see that pressure here too. Thirdly, uh, this is the third, uh, I think, indicator or the third factor that contributes to the believer's enthusiasm. So they, 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 they saw changed lives. Uh, they, they knew the authority of the risen Lord. But I think also they understood something about the sovereignty of God. Uh, after they had been arrested the first time and were set free, uh, they met together to pray, which is fascinating, isn't it? Uh, they, they felt uh, in the context of the powers that were oppressing them, they needed to come to the one who had supreme power. So they met together as believers and they prayed, uh, and they prayed, Sovereign Lord, okay? Almighty God. Uh, and then they prayed about creation, because if God is sovereign, he made everything, and that's a great display of his power. Then they pray about history, Psalm 2, and no detail this morning, uh, and, and they see his sovereignty over history. But then they come to the cross in verse 27, and they say, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Isn't that one of the most astonishing things? It is breathtaking. The display of power here is just enormous. All the powers that existed, the, the satanic powers aren't mentioned, but we take it that they're behind some of this. All the existing powers, Pontius Pilate, Herod, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, everyone basically, apart from the individual followers of Jesus, everyone gathered together, mustered all their power, and put that to work against Jesus. And in their power, what they managed to do was to put to death the Son of God. No mean feat. Look how powerful we are. We killed the Son of God, whom he anointed. But, say the early church, and this is incredible, the early church says, they did what you had decided beforehand should happen. So even when they were exerting the greatest force they could for evil, God in Jesus on the cross was using it for good. It was his design. And the early church take comfort from that. God is sovereign over our lives, isn't he? And over our church and over, over the world today. I, I, this is not an example from, uh, from modern history, but from the church fathers. Uh, uh, there's a, a pastor called John Chrysostom, who uh, pastored in Istanbul in the church there. His church is still there. You can go and see it. 
uh, and he was hauled up before the emperor because the emperor didn't like uh, the fact that Chrysostom was uh, preaching Jesus and the implications of what it means to live for Jesus. And so he was brought to court and had this engagement with the emperor. The emperor said to him, if you don't stop speaking about Jesus, we'll banish you. And Chrysostom said, you cannot banish me, for the whole world is my father's home. Uh, the emperor, well then, we will execute you. Chrysostom, you cannot. My life is hidden in Christ. The emperor, we will dispossess you of your estate. Chrysostom, you cannot, for my treasure is in heaven. The emperor, I, th I, I keep thinking, this isn't how to win friends and influence people, is it? If you... <laughs> The emperor says, well, we will put you in solitary confinement. I think when he said, after he said we will execute you, he sort of had to, had to step down a bit, didn't he? So, but, but now he's saying we'll put you in solitary confinement, presumably for the rest of your life, and he could have done that. Chrysostom replied, you cannot, for I have a divine friend from whom you can never separate me. Okay? That's New Testament Christianity. That's what these people know and experience and trust in, and that's what I would love to know more of myself and love us to know. I don't think this was vindictive, and I don't think it was triumphalistic. I think it was humble. But I think Chrysostom knew that even though he was facing the emperor, the emperor had no power outside of the will of God. And so he could rest in that. It's an incredible inspiration for all of us. And it's a reflection of what we see here. I defy you, he says at the end, there is nothing that you can do to hurt me. Great faith. And then finally, uh, this is where uh, we'll finish and then we'll have uh, someone's going to lead us in the Lord's Supper after we've sung our final hymn. The final, I think, element in these chapters that really empowers or strengthens the early believers is the presence of the Holy Spirit. You would expect that, I think, if you're, if you're used to reading the Bible. Uh, you know that in Acts chapter 1 and 2, the, the disciples, the early church, has to wait until the Holy Spirit is poured out, and that's done with great uh, sort of effectiveness and display. Everyone knows what's happening. And then you go into these chapters, and it's very hard to see the Holy Spirit at work. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot uh, sort of removed from the surface. It's not as clear it was in, as in Acts chaps, chapters 1 and 2, but dotted throughout, and I've only put up two uh, examples, dotted throughout, there are references to the presence of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit working in the lives of the believers. If you saw the believers and you just read this, you would say, it doesn't look like the Spirit is with them anymore, okay? Because the, the powers that be are having their way and the church is struggling. Uh, but Luke wants us to understand that the Holy Spirit was present and was active. He's active when he displays himself powerfully, like in chapters 1 and 2, but he's also active in chapters 3, 4, and 5, when it looks like uh, he isn't there. Uh, so the early church experienced something of the presence of the Holy Spirit and his enabling, even in those circumstances, when they were under great pressure. And I just want to say that this morning, really, you know, because so often, I think, in our lives, we, we would love to be able to step out of our front door full of power, you know, with a sense of invigoration and purpose. And some people seem to be able to manage that. I'm not quite sure how they do it. Sometimes I think they're fooling themselves. Uh, I think the advertisers know that we're insecure and that we struggle with those kinds of things, a lot of us anyway. So they advertise to that effect uh, and sometimes convince us. I often joke about the Gillette ad for men I guess L'Oreal for women, you know the Gillette ad where you have the five blades now, uh, and uh, if, you, if, you, if you believe the ad, and, and I'm, I, I tend to, you buy the blade and you shave and you get the same kind of face as David Beckham or whoever is modern and good looking now, 
and, uh, and you also get the six pack, which I've never kind of, I, 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 I do have a tilting mirror, but uh, when it tilts down, I, never, I can never find the six pack. Maybe it's on my back. Uh, but but, but, but it's, so, it's so gripping, isn't it? You know, that's what I want to be like. And I wish I had that kind of, I wish I had those looks and that confidence because it would make me a kind of different person. As a Christian, I, you know, in myself, it's not there. And, and, and we must be clear about the early church. They didn't feel confident. They, they didn't feel muscular or robust necessarily. They knew God. And they knew that God had promised to be with them by the Spirit. Uh, and they went forward in that knowledge against what seemed to be circumstances that suggested uh, a greater power uh, was at work overwhelming them. They, 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 they prayed and they trusted and they went out knowing that the Spirit was with them and working. And I want to encourage you in that this morning. In all these things, really, the, 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 the power of the gospel to change people's lives, to change our lives, those of us who have been changed profoundly by the gospel, uh, the truth that that is in Jesus, that he can change people to, to grow in our love for him and our appreciation of who he is and you know, what he's doing in us and those around us. It's wonderful. And also to see the, the, the greatness of God over our world and our lives and our church, but also the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, if you're a believer this morning, you cannot be a believer unless the Holy Spirit indwells you. The ho- you, 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 you may feel that everything in you contradicts that. And, 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 and the devil will do everything he can to suggest that you're not worthy for the Spirit to dwell in you. That, you, that, that your life suggests that he isn't with you. And the, the proofs are overwhelming so often, aren't they? Against us. But this is God's word. And God is saying to us this morning, isn't he? And he says to us again and again, no, no, no. I've called you and you're mine. And because of that, you have the Spirit. He indwells you. In fact, you wouldn't be able to be mine unless the Spirit was in you. Therefore, go out uh, in the knowledge uh, that I will be with you wherever you go in what, and in whatever you do in my name. I think we'll stop there. Uh, I really just wanted this morning to uh, look at these I guess this kind of dynamism in these chapters, uh, the church is vulnerable and they're in a culture under, where they're under great pressure, really great pressure, uh, and that's maybe more what we're moving to ourselves, but, but, but in that there was this enthusiasm, they found themselves not being able to stop talking about Jesus, and I love that, and I just pray that, that we'll be more like that ourselves, whether we're young or old. You know, we all have opportunities, don't we? All, all, all our lives. And uh, that we'll know something of the transforming power of the gospel, of the, the beauty of the name of Jesus, the sovereignty of God, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Our final song is number 269. 269. I, I, as a visiting preacher, you're not always sure of a church's kind of a normal choices of a song so I, I, I chose this not knowing the kind of songs that you normally sing but just with the sense that the words at least are true uh, that we don't know what lies ahead but uh, we go out in the knowledge that uh, we're in God's presence so let's stand and sing mm-hmm.